Good morning, church. Praise the Lord for his mercy and grace endureth forever. I praise God this morning for the privilege and honor to read his word. I will be sharing with you Exodus 5, the entire chapter. If you have a pew Bible, it is on chapter, I'm sorry, page 48, if you have a pew Bible. We're reading from the English Standard Version. And for all those within the hearing of my voice, whether you're here in the sanctuary or on our live stream, let's open those Bibles. Let's read God's Word. I will be reading aloud as you read silently to yourselves from God's Word. And it reads as follows. Making bricks without straw. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks! And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses 
turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. This is the word of the Lord. You may reject it. You may accept it. But it is the truth anyhow. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church family. Haven't you been blessed already? Just through the singing, the music, the reading of God's word. Pastor Andrew sharing the gospel with us. God is good. I hope you guys have been enjoying going through the book of Exodus. It has been a blessing to myself. And I hope it has been for you as well. From slavery to glory. I love studying biblical narrative because it forces you to put yourself right in the middle of the story. It allows you to see your story, your life, as a part of God's story. You see, he plans to bring you out of slavery into his glorious presence, where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Are you longing for that day? It was the late fall of 2010. I was a brand new Christian and happy and delighted to be in the Lord. I was away from home, away playing college football, working hard on and off the field, knowing that the rest of my life is right in front of me. I was excited to see what the Lord was going to do with me in my life. It was a very hard season. We only won one of our games. And at the very last game of the season, this team was in a different division, higher up. Their gods were so much bigger than we were. To my dismay, something happened that I didn't see coming. Someone on the opposite team, big guy, came down right on my ankle. Before I knew it, I was being carted off with a broken ankle. As a brand new Christian, this moment in my life was a tragedy. In my mind, this wasn't supposed to happen. Did I do something wrong? Is God upset with me? Am I outside of his plans? I'm a born-again Christian for crying out loud. Little did I know back then that to be a Christian didn't mean that life would be butterflies and rainbows. It meant that suffering would be the very tool that God uses in our lives to turn our affections towards him. Today's sermon is titled, When Things Get Worse Before They Get Better. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to the fact that the Christian life isn't easy? Have you ever been through something where you ask God, why me? Or why is this happening to me? You see, each and every one of you is facing or has faced something very hard. You know what's encouraging to me is that we can sing songs like Blessed Be the Name. 
We can sing songs like his eye is on the sparrow. You see, we are living in a world that has fallen. And we're tempted to question the very goodness of God. We are tempted to forget his promises and we are forced to look at our circumstances instead of the very face of Jesus Christ. See, just like Moses and the Israelites, God's chosen people, his firstborn son, who will you turn to? And what voice will you obey? Lesson number one, to know the Lord is to obey his voice even when it's costly. You see, at the beginning of chapter five, you have Moses and Aaron obeying the Lord by going to the most powerful man in the world. See, this is their very first encounter with Pharaoh, and it's a very costly one. Pharaoh had the very power to just take these guys out. But, no, but notice where Moses and Aaron received their boldness. You see, they didn't go to Pharaoh relying upon their own words, their own ability, their own gifts, their own talents. But they relied upon the very power and word of God, the great I am. It is his voice that they are listening to and then obeying. See, Moses and Aaron are standing on the promises that God will be with them, that he gave them back in chapter 3, verse 12. Or the promise that God will be with their mouths and give them the words to speak back in chapter 4. You see, one thing that is clear is that these men are not dependent upon the very presence and power themselves, but in the very presence and power of God. To be an ambassador, you would have to rely upon the one who is sending you to carry out his mission. Listen to what they say. They say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. See, guys, this is the Lord's mission, to receive his people back to himself. Notice how Pharaoh responds. Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see, Pharaoh, of course, knew many Egyptian gods, but he did not know Yahweh because the Lord has not made himself known yet. You see, Pharaoh's unwillingness to obey the voice of the Lord reveals that he didn't rely upon anything or anyone but himself. See, Moses, however, makes it clear that the God of the Hebrews, he has met with us. He has made himself known to us. See, God is declaring to Pharaoh that the people that you think you own, they actually belong to me. See, God desires freedom for his people for two reasons. So that his people can know him and be known by him. See, this is the life that God planned for us throughout all creation. My question for you this morning is, do you know the Lord? Do you know him? Does the Lord know you? If you're saying, sure, I know God because I have a lot of knowledge about who he is. That's great. But have you experienced him? 
We just sung a song. Have you experienced the man of sorrows that came and lived a perfect life for you and then died a horrible death that you deserve because of your sin? That through faith in him, you can have eternal life. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that love, true love, that all of your sins can be forgiven? His resurrected power living inside of you, empowering you to carry out his will, to be an ambassador. You see, it's through faith that we can know and experience God daily. Does God know you? Has God experienced you? Through true worship of him? By living a life of faith in him, doing what he commands? You see, when was the last time you told someone, hey, this is what God says in this word. He says that he loves you so much that he sent his son for you. So that believing in him, you shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, it's right here in his word. It's proof he loves you. You see, Moses will find out that obeying the voice of the Lord is costly. The same reliance he had to approach Pharaoh boldly will be the same reliance Israel would need in their suffering. See, Pharaoh refused to listen to Moses and Aaron. He saw this whole situation as a distraction. He asked Moses and Aaron, why do you take your people, my people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. He, he then decides to make life harder for them. He tells them, you're not going anywhere. You work for me. Get back to work. Go make bricks. And by the way, I'm not giving you straw. And oh yeah, by the way, make sure you produce the same quota of bricks as if I, when I supplied you with the straw. Things are getting worse before they get better. He says, you, you must not be working hard enough, huh? You think you have so much time on your hands that you can just go off and worship this unknown guy? See, Pharaoh told his people to ignore their lies. These people are lazy. They're idle. See, this is an awful situation. You see, not only are the people slaves and bondage to a cruel, evil man, they had to search for their own straw. And if they didn't produce the same quota of bricks, they were beaten. See, things were getting worse for the people of God. You see, the question that the text forces us to wrestle with is why? See, didn't God promise to rescue his people out of bondage? Now, why do things seem like they're going backwards instead of forward? Why is there an added burden? Shouldn't the burden be lifted? See, maybe you're asking the same question about your suffering, about your life. I thought being a Christian meant that God would bless me with prosperity. At least that's what the guys say on TV, right? That God is going to give you good health in a fat wallet. Guys, this is a lie from the enemy. See, Christianity on this side of heaven is, is, is not guaranteed victory over every struggle that we have. In fact, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. 
Because in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, Christianity is a guaranteed struggle. But guess what? The suffering is not meaningless. Our suffering allows us to depend upon God in ways we wouldn't have without it. See, this is what God is up to in our suffering. He is eliminating our sin and increasing our holiness. Suffering is a means for our sanctification. See, this truth can only be understood by looking at the cross. This is what makes Christianity so costly. You see, on the cross, we said that it is through suffering that God eliminates sin and produces holiness. The same is true for our lives. We are called to endure the suffering in order to experience resurrection and glory. You see, on the cross, Jesus was the one who knew no sin. He became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus suffered to make us holy. You see, the suffering we experience in our Christian lives are not glitches in the system. They are part of the system so we can know God and be known by him. To experience him through the suffering and to deepen our love for him and for his people. You see, if you're in the midst of turmoil, let me encourage you. You didn't fall off the path of God. Your suffering is the path of God. See, the Bible is very honest with us that in this life, we will have trouble. We will experience some form of suffering. You see, in this world, our desires will go unmet. Here's a definition of suffering. Suffering is an unmet desire. It's getting something that you did not want while wanting what you did not get. It's like Christmas morning, right? You open the present and you fake the smile. Oh, wow. Right? What takes it even more deeper? Even if we got, if, even if we received what we wanted, suffering reveals to us that it doesn't even satisfy us. It doesn't even satisfy the longing that we have in our hearts. You see, in this life, we will experience external suffering, a loss of a job, a loss of, of health, and even a loved one. You see, you will be criticized for your work, for your duties. You will have trouble in your relationships. Here's the purpose, guys. Our suffering is to find our rest and our reliance upon God, to know him and to obey his voice, to not, to not rely on ourselves or anything else in this world. See, John Piper, he put it this way. He said, all suffering is intended by Satan for the destruction of our faith, and governed by God for the purifying of our faith. See, little does Pharaoh know, his authority is under the very authority of God. You see, what he meant for evil, God meant for good. So that Moses and the people will know the Lord and obey his voice, even when it is costly. Lesson two, our suffering reveals who we truly worship. 
See, suffering has a way of revealing what we truly believe about God and about ourselves. Suffering has a way of drawing out what our hearts truly long for. And how we face suffering, how we face trouble, reveal what our hearts treasure the most. Take a look at verse 15. It says, the foreman of the people of Israel, they came and they cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? You see, amid their suffering, they didn't cry out to the one true God. They cried out to the very king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. You see, they're seeking relief from Pharaoh instead of the great I am. You see, the God they bowed to worship at the end of chapter 4, he didn't seem like a God they can trust anymore. He doesn't seem like a God who sees what's really going on. Notice what they called themselves before Pharaoh. They asked him, why do you treat your servants? Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. How are we supposed to serve you without the right supplies? How can we work for you, Pharaoh, under these circumstances? They call themselves his servants. You see, the way the Israelites are processing their suffering internally shows that they are being pulled away from God instead of towards him. Their theology is in the wrong place. They are looking to Pharaoh for deliverance and not turning their eyes to the one true God. The Israelites had unrealistic expectations. Their suffering was such a surprise to them, they forgot that Pharaoh was a cruel, evil man. That he's harsh. You see, they thought that serving Pharaoh and making him bricks would be the best that life could be for them. Now that life was interrupted because of the absence of straw, they are crying and complaining to Pharaoh. And he's not letting up. Get back to work. You're lazy. You're idle. Get your own straw. Produce the same amount of bricks. This is true for our own lives. We have these unrealistic expectations that this life is for our own happiness and comfort. And when, things don't, and when those things are taken away from us, we turn to idols to deliver us. Instead of God, here's the truth. We live in a fallen world, and sometimes that world decides to fall right on top of us, doesn't it? We live in a world with sinful people that afflict us. We also make bad decisions that cause our own suffering, and sometimes we suffer for doing the right thing. But guess what? God uses it all for our good and for his glory. Christian, God has not forgotten about you or has turned his back away from you. He is not punishing you for your sin. This is all true because of the cross. Church, who will we turn to in our suffering is who we truly worship. 
You see, our trials, our troubles, they are like a mirror where we get to look within our own hearts. We get to see what is seated on the very throne of our hearts. You see, in our suffering, God has provided something far better than an escape. He has given us a front row seat to see what's going on in our hearts. What is your suffering revealing this morning? Do you worship comfort or success? Who is the Pharaoh in your life? Who are you seeking to please? Whose approval are you desperately working towards not losing? You see, when you fail, who do you fear? The answers to these questions reveal who we truly worship. Maybe you are the Pharaoh in the story. You have set yourself in the place of God. You're making life miserable for the people around you. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your coworkers. Your employees. You see, are you afflicting suffering on others to feed your own ego and pride? I pray that you will soften your heart, that you will know the Lord and obey his voice and let his people go. Lesson three, turn to the Lord in your time of trouble. See, notice the Israelites and their discouragement. They don't blame God for their troubles. They actually blame Moses and Aaron. Moses, you have made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. In other words, you have provoked him to not like us anymore. See, the Israelites were more concerned with how Pharaoh viewed them than they cared about the Lord's under-shepherd, Moses. Things are not looking too pretty for Moses either. In his mind, the thing God called him to do, he failed at it. See, Moses didn't expect the people to turn on him. I don't know about you guys, but I'm grateful that God doesn't reveal every little detail of my life. I wouldn't be able to handle it. But there is one promise that I think we all can handle. It's this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Does that bring you comfort this morning? We can learn a lot about Moses and how he responds to his suffering. Moses turns to the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? You see, in his suffering, in his grief, he turns to the Lord in biblical complaint or lament. He is turning to God in honesty rather than in anger or resentment. He doesn't respond the way that Job's wife recommends to to curse God and die. He responds with a complaint. See, here's the difference. Complaining about God draws us away from him. Complaining to God draws us towards him. Biblical lament is being honest with God about the brokenness of life. Did you know it's okay to voice your struggles to God, to lament? Your doubts, your weaknesses, your hurts, your pain, your sin. 
See, brothers and sisters, we are in a great battle called life. And it's okay to acknowledge to God that you are not okay. Church, God doesn't want us to confuse this place with heaven or to love his creation more than we love him. See, God wants us to desire him and be satisfied in him alone because he knows. He knows what is best for our hearts. Church, we were made for worship. We were made to worship him and to serve him. Sharing our suffering with God allows us to rely upon him and to depend upon him. How do we fight this battle without giving up, without turning away from God? By remembering that this light and this momentary affliction is preparing for you to see your Savior face to face in glory. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus fell to the ground. He prayed this, if it were possible that the hour might pass for me. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He went through the suffering. He picked up his cross and died in your place and mine so that we can become children of God. He rose victoriously and now is seated on the right hand of God so that we can know that we're also seated at the right hand of God. Christian, that's your destination. Church, that's your reality right now. You see, Ralph Pharaoh is saying, get back to work. This is what our Savior is saying in Matthew 11, verse 28. He's saying, come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest to take my yoke upon you and to learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus is offering us to come, to join our lives to his, to be so connected to him, even in our suffering. Even in our heavy labor, to confess that we are tired, we're hurting. We need you. Jesus is saying being yoked to me is a burden, but it's a light burden. Because he's the one doing the work. See, Christian, the one that you are connected to is so much stronger than you. His yoke, is, his yoke of bondage is actually freedom. He is sharing his love with us, his gentleness, and he's leading us home to glory, the very rest that our souls long for. Just know when things get worse before they get better, you have a God that will keep you from stumbling and who's going to present you blameless before his presence of his glory. It says with great joy. It is God's joy to keep you. Do you believe that? I pray you do. Let's pray. Father God, you love your people. You know what's going on in their lives. You know their suffering. You know their burdens. God, I pray that you will make yourself known. 
in the suffering, in the pain, in the turmoil, that we will not fix our eyes on our circumstances, but that we will fix our eyes on our Savior. Because Jesus, you are so good. You're so gentle. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we have a high priest that can sympathize in our weaknesses. That you are praying for us. You are waiting for us. And you are using all things for our good and for your glory. God, I pray as we transition to communion that we continue to worship you, that we continue to behold your cross, that we behold what you have done for us to set us free from sin and to make us alive to God. Thank you for your resurrection, Jesus. Your resurrection is our hope that there is life after death, that our suffering is not meaningless. God, help us to turn our eyes upon you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.